Uh, today, as we uh, continue into the, the book of Acts, um, we're going to actually look at this story twice. Today, also next week. Uh, there, was just, there was a lot in here that I just didn't feel like we could cover uh, in, in one day. We're, we're first going to look today at kind of some practical implications for us, uh, which I think will kind of help set us up for next week, as next week we look a little bit more at the, the details of the story itself. Um, oftentimes, like within one sermon, I usually look at the details first and then do the application. This time, we're going to kind of reverse it. Uh, two different sermons, one looking first at sort of um, how we can see ourselves like kind of in this story, and then next week, I think as we go into the details, it'll make a bit more sense as far as uh, how we approach uh, even just our own personal evangelism, sharing our faith, um, looking for opportunities that the Lord might bring into our life. So, uh, so hopefully, it'll make a lot more sense once we go through the two, but um, uh, but today, as we look at this story, it's a really fascinating story, uh, very encouraging story, um, very uplifting story, uh, but also, I think, very practical. But at first glance, it doesn't look that practical, um, but I think it's a very practical story uh, that we can apply to our own lives. Uh, there's a phrase uh, that I use from time to time over uh, just the last, I don't know, probably 20 years or so, um, that I think is helpful uh, for us as believers, because sometimes uh, we, we think about the role that God has given us. We think of uh, the, the life mission that God has put us on, the, the purpose, why we're here on this earth, why has God put me here in this community, in this place. Uh, we can often get a little anxious about how that's supposed to look. We, we hear a lot of important phrases, um, phrases that are right and true, uh, for instance, you hear things like, you have a purpose, you have a mission. You go, okay, all right, I have a purpose, I have a mission. Um, God has created good works for you to walk in. That's true, that's in Ephesians 2.10. We're actually going to mention that one a little bit later. Uh, you hear, you have a place in the body of Christ. You go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I've got a, a place in the, in the, in the body. Uh, you, you matter. Your, your part is important. Uh, you have spiritual gifts that God has given you. You have natural talents that God has given. You have a background, you've got an upbringing, you have a story to tell, something that is supposed to impact the people around you, and your story is unique, and God has given that to you specifically to make a difference in the lives of others. And so all those things are 100% true. They're all true. But sometimes I, I feel like, at least for me, we go, okay, so, so how do I do that? What does that look like? Those are like big phrases, big words, with seems like a lot of expectations on it, Right? You're like, you've got this mission, you've got this thing, and it's all, it's all so true, but I think it can bring a little bit of like this anxiety or just this wondering of, so how do I do it? And if I don't do it, am I in sin? Am I doing something wrong? Am I missing out? Like, it can be really confusing on, on how this works out. And I'm personally convinced that given kind of the nature of the country we live in in America, the fast pace of life, the pressures of being so individualistic and kind of the self-made identity, making a name for yourself, you know, kind of building a platform, consumerism, mix in some of that prosperity gospel, American dream, not to mention our uh, innate temptation to compare ourselves to others. We are convinced that to be uh, bigger, louder, more impressive, more visible, we use words like epic and extreme and all these things. And if those words, epic and all this stuff, don't accommodate what we do, especially what we're doing for Christ, then somehow we've failed. We think, if I'm not doing something epic for Christ, something huge for Christ, something life-changing, earth-shattering, that somehow 
God has passed over me. He's given the better opportunities or talents or gifts or platform, whatever you call it, to the other people that he can uh, more trust himself with. But, you know, with me, I'm just kind of a, a nobody. And we kind of think if, if our platform and our kind of ministry isn't this huge epic thing, then somehow we've failed. Somehow our faith maybe is small or our obedience is weak. And we, we do this very easily. We look around on social media, we see what other people are doing for Jesus, and somehow we feel like we're not very significant. We've made kind of an idol out of significance, if we're to be honest. Like, we all want to have a significant impact on this earth, don't we? And if we don't get that the way we think it's supposed to be or how it looks for other people, we're, we're kind of devastated. We, we feel like somehow we fall short, and really that desire for significance is kind of an idol that we create or what we might consider uh, success, spiritual success, ministry success, having an impact, whatever that looks like. So the little phrase that I've used over the years that I feel like is, is very helpful for me, and I hope it's helpful for you, is this simple phrase, just supernaturally natural. Or you could reverse that, you could say just naturally supernatural. I, I think that so much of our life and our quote-unquote ministry, and I don't mean that like sarcastically, I mean like we think of ministry as like these official things we do for Jesus, Right, these things where it's like with organization, like it has to be opening a Bible or doing something like that. But um, I believe that our ministry on this planet, for the most part, I mean, the, the bulk of it, the job that God has given you and me to do in our lives, 80, 90% of that is just going to be this naturally supernatural thing we walk in, a supernaturally natural thing we walk in. Something that doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles or a big social media presence or whatever it is, but it's, it's walked out in the everyday of our life, in all the in-betweens, in the, in the stuff that people don't see, the stuff that you feel like isn't very significant, but actually is very significant and can be eternity-changing for others. And so I'm hoping that as we look at this story, that we, we see a bit of this. Because it's true that God gives us spiritual gifts. He wants us to make a spiritual impact through our lives and the lives of others. He wants us to make a difference in this world, send us into the harvest, teach us to be fishers of men, but he often does that very supernatural work of making this impact in others through very natural ways, very normal ways, very average ways, and I might even dare to say very mundane ways, even maybe boring ways. And a lot of times we just we miss that. Because we're looking for the next exciting thing. We're looking for the big platform thing. We're looking for uh, the thing that, that really like, looks like spiritual fruit, whatever. But God wants to work through us and in us, even through the mundane, boring parts of our life. And we'd be surprised at what we miss out on when we're not looking for those things because we're just looking for the next sort of spiritual high or the next hit or whatever it is. These ways that seem small, maybe even ways that actually are small, at least small at the moment in our own eyes. So that's what I hope we're going to see today with this continuing story of Philip. And as I said, next week we're going to look more deeply into the details of the story, but today we're going to look at just some practical implications for us uh, before we jump next week into uh, kind of the, the, the deeper sort of like meat of this story. Uh, so let me pray and we're going to uh, be uh, in... Uh, the word today, we're going to be starting in verse 25, going all the way to uh, 40, getting a big overview, and then um, uh, looking at uh, just the, the big picture of it. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, 
that we can look all throughout um, creation and the way you designed life, and we're going to do some of that today just to recognize the way that you've designed us to be, um, that you've designed us, and your word tells us very clearly that is that you choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, you choose the weak to shame the strong, and yet still somehow we go about life thinking we have to uh, be big and strong and um, and just be impressive and all these things in order to uh, be obedient, to be validated in our fruitfulness. Even though it's so clear in so many parts of your word, Old Testament, New Testament, that that is just not how your economy functions. You use us in our simplicity. You use us in our, our in-between parts of life, in our everyday parts of life. And, and this is important for us to know. Otherwise, we... Uh, we either will waste our life thinking, oh, we're, we're passed over, or we just end up just looking and pining for the next big thing and then become frustrated, feel like we've missed out somehow. So uh, we don't want that. We want to live this life to the fullest, expectant, knowing that you're at work in our hearts bringing opportunities for us to use the gifts you've given us, to use the opportunities you've brought before us. So help us. Help us to see this life as you see. Help us to recognize your work in our life, your orchestration in our life. Help us not to overlook the small things that you've brought into our lives. So lead us and guide us, Holy Spirit, as we enter into your word today together as a church family. We Pray that you would guide us, open our hearts, and give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We thank you, we love you, and it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So verse 25 here, the story of Philip. When they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem. So these are the disciples that have been spread about after this persecution rose up that Saul started. Uh, they had gone up to Samaria, as we heard last week from Pastor Tyler. And when they testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So on their way back to Jerusalem, Samaria, Samaria's in the north. On the way back, they're stopping in villages, preaching the gospel on the way back to Jerusalem. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And now Luke, who's writing Acts, he says, this is a desert place, just letting us know this is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And this eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with them. Now the passage of the scripture that this Ethiopian was reading was this, it's from Isaiah, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. 
So then this eunuch says to Philip, so about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is, is he talking about himself or is he writing about somebody else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, there's water right there. What prevents me from being baptized? And we commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. So Philip just disappears, it seems, and the Spirit just takes him somewhere else. And the eunuch's like, I don't know where he went, but he just went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So we're going to jump into the, the details of the story, so we're not going to hit on a lot of the, the details of it today. We're going to uh, look at those next week, but a few basics here. This, again, this is Philip, who was one of the seven men who was appointed to be uh, deacons in Acts chapter 6, and he, along with all the other disciples, had been scattered like seed uh, because of this persecution, and now he's returning back to Jerusalem. And he has this pretty incredible encounter with an angel. An angel appears and says, go to Gaza. Get on the road, go to Gaza. Gaza's about 50 miles from Jerusalem to the, uh, to the west. And uh, it's right on the coast of uh, the Mediterranean. You hear a lot about Gaza in, in our news today. Uh, so Gaza is just right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. So he goes on this road and he comes across this chariot with an Ethiopian who was returning back to Ethiopia. That would be the path that you would take. And the spirit then leads him to just go talk to him. And so he does. And what ensues afterwards seems like what you'd, you'd call like a softball pitch of evangelism. The guy's like, can you tell me what I'm reading here? Who is he talking about? Look, there's water. Can I get baptized right now? I mean, Philip's probably like, this is awesome. I hope they're always like this. I mean, it's really, it's just kind of a slam dunk. So a lot of us are sitting there reading this story going, how is this supposed to encourage me? Because it never happens this way. First of all, angels don't talk to me. Second of all, I've never even seen a chariot in my life, so I don't, what does this have to do with me today? I've never been whisked away by the Spirit, and you're calling this naturally supernatural? This is just fully supernatural right here. So what does this have to do with us? How, does this, how, do, how can we look at this story and say, there's something the Lord wants to even show us here? But I think as we look more closely at it, th this is where I think this encouragement of being Naturally, supernatural is helpful for us because clearly, yes, an angel speak, and that's definitely very cool. Okay, so we kind of put that over here. But now Philip is on the road. Now, this particular road uh, probably was quite abandoned by this time. There was other trade routes that had been developed by this time. Uh, so he's kind of probably even wondering why he's going through this desert place. Why is the, this angel telling me to go? Like, that doesn't make sense. There's a better road and whatever. Um, and so he's just, he obeys doesn't know why he's going on this road. He just knows he's got business in Gaza. The angel says, go to Gaza, so I'm going to Gaza. But then while he's just doing his business, like minding his own business, doing what the Lord's telling him to do, something happens. He kind of gets interrupted. Something draws him to this chariot. The Spirit of God inside of him is, in his sovereignty, is tugging on his heart, telling him to look at that chariot there. Go, go take that, that chariot. Go up to that chariot see what's going on, see who's sitting in there, go talk to him. So the Holy Spirit highlights this chariot and this Ethiopian. 
So looking again at verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, which was very, it was common, the, the most common way to read back then was reading out loud, so this wasn't too abnormal there. Heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? The, the work of the Spirit in our lives is oftentimes actually kind of hard to discern. Uh, sometimes it, it doesn't, we don't really know if it's the Lord who's kind of urging us, prompting us, leading us, guiding us, or if it's just us, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. If you've ever had a desire maybe to just suddenly you think about someone, you want to send them a text message, encourage them, send them a scripture, something like that. Or maybe you pick up a book that encourages you in your faith and you just can't quite put it down. You just keep, want to keep going and going and going. Or maybe someday you're on your way to work and you actually let a few more people in front of you in traffic than you normally do. Or you're maybe in the grocery line, you do the same thing. Or maybe there's a, uh, you're in a restaurant, there's a, a baby or a toddler who's being just very, very loud, but it's just not bothering you like it used to. Or maybe you just choose to have some self-control and not get annoyed when your kids are interrupting your nap or your, or your quiet time, whatever it is. Or you're convicted maybe when you realize you've been acting selfishly. You can give yourself credit for all of that if you want, but I'm telling you, you're probably wrong because that's probably a work of the Spirit. That's probably the Spirit who's been working in you over the years, making you less selfish, make, giving you more self-control, making you more gentle, making you more compassionate, making you more thoughtful about other people, prompting you maybe to send that text message or prompting you to just hold your tongue when that, that kid in the next booth is being super loud or whatever it might be. Sometimes what happens is we just think it's us. Like We're just kind of like, oh, man, I'm so patient today. That was awesome. But that's probably not you. If you've been a Christian for any number of years, you have to understand that the, work of the, the Spirit has been alive inside of you working, killing your flesh, teaching you, conforming you into the image of Christ. And so your desires change. You, the inside of you changes. Your, your character changes. So if you're a Christian, the, the Spirit has been transforming those desires, your attitudes, your priorities. Over time, and, and, and this is how it's supposed to be. This is what I, I'm, I'm always, I marvel at the work of the Spirit because this is how it's supposed to be is over time, your desires, my desires become so much like God's desires, you can't even tell the difference anymore. That's how it's supposed to be. I mean, we, don't we pray, Lord, change me, make me more like you? And then somehow, when we're actually more like him, we give ourselves credit for it. Like, oh man, I've just, I've just really matured, you know, because I'm just like super smart and wise and stuff. Like, no, you've been praying since you got saved to be tra transformed into the image of Christ. But then once we get there, we don't, and sometimes this is such a slow change, we don't even realize we've been changed. But think back to when you first met Christ. Were you the same person as you are today? Think about your temper. Think about your patience. Think about your compassion. Think about your gentleness. Think about all those things. Think about how you judge people. Now, I'm not saying we don't still do all those things, but hopefully you're able to say, yeah, you know what? I am different. 
I do have different desires. I have seen these things kind of shift and change over the years. Don't take credit for that. Give God glory. The Holy Spirit has been at work in you. And so, so often throughout our day, throughout our week, the Holy Spirit is leading us in many ways and we don't even realize it. And that's okay that we don't realize it, but it'd be nice if we start realizing it. Right? Part of that's okay because you go, praise the Lord, I'm just a different person. I'm, I'm supernaturally natural. I'm just naturally walking through my life, but there's been a supernatural work in my life. I've been changed supernaturally and it just, it looks very natural now. It looks like, well, that's just how you are, but no, that's not how I was, but I've been changed. We have to recognize that the Spirit leads us and prompts us throughout our day, yet sometimes we just, we don't even know it. So we want to be sensitive and expecting that the Holy Spirit wants to move in and through us. We want to be expecting this to happen, not just walking along thinking, oh, I'm just a good person these days. No, we want to go, look, if the Holy Spirit's been working on me for the last five years, 10 years, 20 years, I expect he's going to keep working. So I want to be expecting that he's going to continue to lead me and guide me. He wants to guide us and help us. And here in this story, Philip is minding his own business. Just, he's got this mission. I mean, angel spoke. This is pretty cool. And now he's walking to Gaza through this desert place, minding his own business, thinking, I wonder what's in Gaza for me. This is going to be exciting. An angel spoke to me, told me to go to Gaza. I wonder, there's going to be this huge, this huge breakout of evangelism. We're going to see all these people being saved, just like I saw in Samaria. This is going to be so cool. He could have his mind so focused on getting to Gaza that he just has this kind of like these blinders on to get there. But instead, as he's walking along, all of a sudden the Spirit speaks to him. He says, go talk to the guy in that chariot. Now, if he was just so focused on getting to the next thing, he could just be just going along as fast as he can. I have a feeling that Philip's not wasting his time. I don't think he's just kind of walking, like, you know, looking at the trees and the birds and stuff. I think he's probably enjoying nature. But I think he's, he's probably praying on his trip. He's got 50 miles on foot here. It's a couple days worth of walking. I don't think he's wasting that time. I think he's using that time. He's praying... He might not necessarily be praying, God, show me someone to talk to, but his, his mind and his eyes are on the Lord. He's utilizing that in-between time, this 50-mile walk, very boring through a desert place, and I think he's probably praying. He's got his mind on the Lord, and when our minds are on the Lord, we're actually looking for things. We're actually our expectant. So he senses the Lord is speaking to him here, leading him to talk to this person. So look at verse 30 again. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up into the chariot and sit with him. So something Philip does here is quite simple, but again, very natural. He heard the Ethiopian talking. He was reading Isaiah and quite naturally, Philip just asked a question. Hey, buddy, how's it going? What you reading there? Very simple, just what you're reading. Do you, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian then expresses some frustration, and that, that's key, so I just want you to hang on to that for a second. He's voicing some frustration. How can I understand this? Now, this is truly a unique event with all the, you know, the angels speaking, all this kind of stuff, but let's not miss this. Because as I said, we don't know that uh, if, if, if he was sitting there walking and talking, or praying, talking to the Lord. But once he gets into this, chariot we have this very small condensed 
story here, but I'm, I'm guessing they probably, he probably sat in that chariot for at least a couple hours. Right? They got two days of traveling to do here. I don't think it was just this, like we see this, like these few sentences. I don't think it's like, oh, there's Jesus, oh, baptized, and then see you later. I think they probably hung out. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But they're probably going along in this chariot for a couple hours, maybe more. We don't know. Probably a lot of conversation. It just says that he started with that scripture in Isaiah. Eventually, we know they started talking about baptism. Baptism is not mentioned in that story of Isaiah, that, that text. So, so we know that Philip went further than that text and started going more and more and more in-depth with who Jesus is and what he's commanded us to do. So we don't, we don't have that conversation there. We just have the beginning. But they're probably going along for a couple hours, three hours, four hours. I mean, think about, think about you. You go grab coffee with someone. You sit there for a couple hours. You know, you moms, you have a, you have a play date at a park. You, you meet another mom who's there with their kids. You just sit there for an hour, an hour and a half. Just strike up a conversation. You could be so focused on just your, your play date for your kids or your other friends. You know, you go to church with whatever. You guys could be so focused on just that that you don't notice the other gal that's over there. Or you're sitting there and, and you're having coffee. You know, you just, you, 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 you're so focused on this conversation, you don't notice that person who's alone, maybe reading something, maybe not the, the, a scroll of Isaiah, but they're reading something kind of intriguing, something that is a different worldview than, than you. You might just say, hey, what are you reading? Right? But we get so focused on the, the task at hand, whatever that might be, just getting to work, getting to where we're going. We just want to get to Gaza. We're just going to stay focused on there. And we're not expecting that in these in-between moments of life, there might be something that actually the Lord wants to highlight to us. But when we are spending those in-between times, even praying, reaching out to the Lord, just having our minds focused on Him, we don't realize that sometimes maybe the Lord wants to interrupt our day. And so here, Philip is sitting with this Ethiopian, probably listening to him, getting to know him a little bit, asking him some questions, and hearing his own questions, the Ethiopian's questions, and responding. And when we as God's people with the Spirit in us, when, when, the, when the Lord sanctifies you, when he changes you, he enlargens your heart for the lost. He, he gives you more compassion. He gives you different eyes to see. He focuses the lens of your eyes. They, they change. They sharpen. Your natural state, who you are, how you think, how you feel, is being supernaturally changed. You kind of evolve into a new, cre- uh, new creation. Over time, you, you notice things, you recognize things in people that you never used to notice before. That's the work of the Spirit. And you walk through life just supernaturally natural. You're a spiritual being living inside of a physical body. You're aware. Your eyes are open, on the lookout. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I, I shared just that analogy that, you know, how I, I lose my keys and I never find my keys unless I'm looking for my keys. And then when my wife finds them, then I have them again. But, but the point is, though, is we don't find what we're not looking for. Because sometimes we don't even know it's been missing. You know, maybe you, you look through your garage, you're doing some cleaning, you're like, oh, look, I thought I threw that. You, you didn't realize that this thing from your childhood is still in the garage because you weren't looking for it for the last 20 years. But all of a sudden you found it, you stumbled upon it, right? So when we have this transformed mind and eyes we actually start looking for things that we never used to look for. And I think that's what Philip is doing. He's walking along, he's probably praying, maybe not necessarily praying, show me someone, but his mind and his heart and his thoughts were on the Lord. 
And if our mind and our hearts are on the Lord, you're, you're more in tune with the spirit that's already living inside of you wanting to do a work. And it might not be an audible voice or some profound revelatory event like a, an angel speaking to you, but you do become more aware of people's needs. You become less selfish, self-focused. You, you recognize people's frustrations, their struggles, their questions, their pains, and you feel prompted feel led to find ways to talk to them. You find yourself trying to find these little roads into their life and you're ready when it becomes time. Even in the mundane, everyday things and relationships, nothing epic, no big online ministry or blog or platform, no writing books or traveling around the world, speaking, all this kind of stuff, just, just living your life. Living your life, but living your life on mission with open eyes. And one supernaturally natural thing we can do is, like Philip, we just ask questions. Ask questions. Listen to people's questions. Look for inroads. Something you might not notice is, whether it's evangelism, or if it's counseling, or discipleship, or parenting, Whatever it might be, dealing with sin, your own sin or other people's sin, one thing that all of those things have in common is the heart is always the target. Right? Sharing, your, sharing your faith with someone, dealing with someone in sin, discipleship, a, a Christian growing or a, or a non-believer hearing about Jesus, raising your own kids, the heart is always where we want to go. The heart is always the target. In all these conversations we have with people, we should always be looking on how we can get into the heart. Always, that is always, always, always. Even in your own life, your heart must be the target. And the way into the heart is through what I, just, I call open doors or an open gate, open windows. We just kind of look for openings. We look for openings. And one of the most common ways or easiest way to identify an opening, if you're talking with someone, talking with someone at the park or or someone at work, whatever, the, the best openings that you can kind of most easily spot is, is emotive words, words of emotion. Like if they say, I feel like this. Or they use words like scared or anxious. I'm nervous, I'm afraid, I'm mad, I'm angry. Or I'm happy, I'm joyful, I'm so excited. Whenever you hear emotion words, emotions are these little openings that reveal the heart. Whether they're discouraged scared or they're excited whenever we hear some of these things. So it's, it's just a really easy way just to ask questions. Man, what's your biggest fear? You know, what, what, what gets you the most excited in life? I mean, there's just, just natural questions. There's nothing supernatural about this. We're just asking, we're just getting to know people, but not getting to know just, you know, hobbies and weather and stuff like that, although that can be a very a beginning of a conversation, obviously. But once we start asking questions that, kind of actually are asking heart questions. Nothing super personal, you know, because people are like, hey, I don't know you, right? But you just go, hey, you ever think, well, what's your biggest fear? You know, just whatever it might be, but these emotive words, and sometimes people just offer them up. They say, oh, man, we're, you know, I just got some really terrible news about, you know, my, my parents, you know, um, my mom's got this disease, you know, or, um, you know, we're, or, or something else. Like, we're really excited. Our, our, our son just got a, a scholarship. Man, we're just so excited, Right? They're, they're revealing, they're showing you a little bit of their hand, right? showing you one of the cards they're holding. 
something that has a fear, something that has a joy. And so your friend or, or a complete stranger, a coworker, might not be, like I said, reading a scroll of Isaiah on their lunch break next to you. That's probably not going to happen, although that'd be nice. That's probably not the deal. But if you just start asking questions about their life, and it starts off really basic, really mundane, about hobbies, things like that, but you start kind of getting a picture of what drives them, what is in their heart. Maybe you do ask them what they've been reading lately or whatever it might be, and they start sharing some of those emotive words. And so like the Ethiopian, he was, he was frustrated. He was confused. So, so Philip just asks questions. He goes there. You know, someone starts talking about being worried about their kids or how they're going to pay the rent or whatever it might be. You start hearing these things. So here's the thing is, if people say those kinds of things, if they expose some of their feelings, their emotions, what they did, and they don't even know this, is they just crack the door open to their heart for you. Even if it's just a little bit, but it's, they, they, they entrusted you with just a tiny bit of their heart without even knowing it. They just kind of put out a little bit of a, a welcome mat and invited you into their world. You, you know the saying that all roads lead to Rome. All emotions, all emotive words lead to the heart. And if we're looking for those, if we're actually on the lookout in our everyday natural conversations, on our road to Gaza, whatever Gaza is for you, going to work, going to school, whatever, you're going to the place, you just, you could stay so focused on just getting to Gaza, or you can say, God, is there something in between? And I want to just, I want to be listening. I want to be seeing if there's someone who's going through something that might open up a little bit of the door for me. And we have to decide if we're just going to keep walking to Gaza or if we're actually going to enter in. Are we going to enter in to someone's life when they put that welcome mat out? Go in. They just invited you to sit up in the chariot with them. If they share some things about their life. And so, what do we do then? What do we do once they open up those doors for us? Well, we do what Philip did. We, we ask questions. Simple questions. Human questions. Not necessarily supernatural questions, but just natural questions. Do you, do you get what you're reading there? Oh, so what, is, what does your son want to do as he gets older? Is there anything I can do to help with, you, with your kids? What's going on? I mean, my kids are older now, so I mean, I've gone through a lot. Maybe I could help somehow. What, what worries you the most about that situation? Can I pray for you? Eventually, they might even start asking questions. And, and here's the, the deal for us, too. This is frustrating for us, but this is often a very, very, very slow process. And... We just, we hate that, don't we? We just, we hate slow processes. But we hate that a lot more than God does. God doesn't actually even hate it. We want change and growth right now. We want these softball pitch kind of things like this Ethiopian. That's not usually how it works. We hate waiting. We hate slow. Even though the word slow is actually most often used in the word of God to describe the good character of God, his love, his patience, his mercy, slow to anger. He loves the word slow. We just, we can't stand it. For us, slow is frustrating and a sign of weakness. Like we're doing something wrong. How come this person isn't hearing me? How come they're not listening to my message? But I have to realize that God took 18 years to get to my heart. He took 67 years to get to my dad's heart. Slow is not a problem for God. It's not a problem for God. 
a problem for us, but it shouldn't be. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some, some of us, we count slowness. We look at God's work and go, why are you going so slow? But the word says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, even though we count it as slowness. But he's actually patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's not in a hurry when we often are. Eugene Peterson says, this is slow, slow work, this soul work. Right? We're on our own souls, on the souls of our kids, the souls of our, our good friends who get caught up in sin or whatever it is, or maybe questioning their faith, the souls of non-believing friends and family, co-workers. It's slow work. It is slow, slow work, the soul work, and we get impatient and we want to take shortcuts. We just want to get to Gaza. And I'm not saying that we're not supposed to be urgent, but urgent is different than hurried and rushed. Urgent is very different. Because if a truly quote-unquote, significant life was dependent on big things, epic things, world-changing things in a hurry and fast and now, then why would God have us sleep? If he's got stuff to do, if he's got a mission to accomplish, why did he design us to sleep? There's people out there to save God. Why are you putting us to sleep every night? We got things to do here. Why does raising kids take two decades Slow work of parenting and discipleship. Slow, slow, oftentimes frustrating work, oftentimes sad work, hard work. It takes two decades to raise up and disciple our kids. Why does he design into our week a Sabbath day of rest? We could use that day to get stuff done for the kingdom of God. Isn't he, isn't he in a hurry? Doesn't he want us to be epic for Jesus and do the big things? And, or is that us? Is that us? Is that, is that the distorted lens of the world that we live in? You, you know, the, the word busy is the, is the new good, right? Like, hey man, how you, how you doing? Like, oh, I'm not busy, right? We've replaced the word, the word good with busy. Busy somehow makes us feel important. When I say I've been busy, what I'm telling you is I'm significant, people need me, I've got a lot to do. So we used to say, hey, how you doing? Like, oh, I'm doing good, doing pretty good. But now, oh, man, we just love to say, oh, busy. Oh, man, busy. You, if you should, see, you should see my calendar and all the stuff that I'm doing, all the people that need me, I am just busy. We pride ourselves on our busyness. We're hurried, rushed people. Our identity is in what we do and accomplish rather than in Christ. Busy is the sign of importance, our significance, now again, don't hear me say that the Lord wants us to be lazy or indifferent or casual or flippant or unurgent. I'm not saying that he doesn't want us to be sacrificial, that we, that we should be complacent or just coast through life, just cruise. I'm just gonna cruise. I'm not saying that at all. But rather, it's finding our way through our life that God has ordained for us. And your life is different than the life even of the person next to you. And that could even be your spouse. Right? You live together, but... The life that you're on like, is, is slightly different based on whatever it is, you know, your, your job, your work, your, your circle of friends, whatever. So what we want to be doing is finding our way through life, being normal, average, everyday people with all of our weaknesses, all of our limitations, with all of our humanity, 
Just how it was described of the disciples in Acts chapter 4, common, uneducated men, but men who had been with Jesus. That's, that's the key right there. I'm just an average person. I'm just a, I'm just a guy. I'm just a dude. I, I'm, I'm nothing special. I, I don't have this great big ministry and all these talents and gifts and all these things and all the other, but, but I'm just, but I, but I know Jesus and God has appointed me to the life that he has, my family, my job, my hobbies, my circle of friends. So on my way to the Gazas of my life, am I spending that time saying, Lord, do you want to use me on the way there? Or am I just looking for the next spiritual fix, the next spiritual high to give me significance, busying myself up so I feel important in the kingdom of God? But I, instead, I want, I'm going to trust God both in the mundane and the everyday things, jobs and relationships and social life, raising kids, taking care of your elderly parents, having, a, having a, a balance of being both intentional but also being available and expectant that the Holy Spirit wants to move in you and work through your life. So urgent, not hurried, but urgent can mean making just a point to have coffee with someone. Not tell them like, we got to do it today, but just... Just saying, you know what, this person's been on my heart. I want to, and if it's three weeks out, four weeks out, that, that's okay, right? We're not in a hurry, but it's urgent because we want to talk with people. We want to meet with people. Even if it is small talk, you're building a foundation. You're looking for open windows. You're looking for invitations into their chariot. And sometimes you climb into their chariot and then they, they, they kick you right out. Like, hey, hey, that's a little too personal, buddy. And that, that's okay. You're, you're, you're just trying. You're just, you're just walking along. You just go in. There's an open invitation. You thought it was an open invitation. And you just, you try, you fumble through it. You're patient through it. You're still expectant, you're still urgent, but you're patient, you're, you're, you're supernaturally natural. Walking to Gaza obediently, but ready and willing. Waiting and looking for the next opportunity, waiting for the Spirit's lead and then obeying when it's there. This is kind of a strange analogy, but it's just the best one I can think of. <laughs> 60% of your body is water, Right? I mean, that's weird. I've always thought that was weird. Ever since I was a little kid, I thought, that's just weird. Do you ever think about the water? I never think about the water. I never think about my body being made up of water. You know what I think about with my body? I think about the, 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 the things I see, the movies I get to watch, watching my kids, the, the, the speaking, the things, the aromas I smell of good food, what I get to hear, good music. I think of what I experience as a human. So that, that's all I really think about. It's just what I'm experiencing as a human. I never think about what my body is actually made of. I just think about the experience, the fun things, the tangible things, the experience of being human rather than what actually makes me human. But if you take out the water, that 60%, you're, you're dust. You're, you're nothing. And for us, we're constantly looking for the meaningful, important, epic things that we can experience God and if we do that, we're, we're missing out on the bulk of what it actually means to live our life in Christ. Because we're only looking for these big things. Things that we can point to. Things that we can post on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is. Things, stories we can tell people. And then we miss out on opportunities to worship God that are right in front of us in our everyday lives. In the in-between of life. I mean, do you realize, I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, I, I don't know what I, I was, I was thinking through this. I don't know what it would be, but do you think about 80% of your life is probably mundane? I mean, a third of your day is, is spent sleeping, right? Eight hours out of 24. I mean, 
so, so when you think through it, you go like, so at least a third of my life, I'm not even doing anything. I'm not even awake. So is, is 80% of your life, I mean, you got to wake up, you got to put your shoes on, get dressed, you got to shower, use the bathroom, you got to drive to work, take out the trash, do your chores, you're cooking dinner, you're paying bills, you're going to the store, uh, you know, all these things, I mean, waiting in line, you know, being on hold with, you know, anyone <laughs> talking to robots and whatever. I mean, think of how much of your life is just mundane and kind of nothing. It, it's that 50-mile walk to Gaza. And you go, so if, if that's the case, if I'm only looking for the experiences, I'm wasting 80% of my life not being with Jesus, not growing in my faith. Like, I'm just putting all this, and this is the only significant part to me is this 10, 20%. That's what gives me value. That's what, that's what helps me to interact with the Lord. We're, we're wasting a lot because we've kind of been trained to only focus on the experiences and all the things rather than what actually makes us to be Christians, what actually makes us to be human. If we view all those other things as just pointless and a waste of time because we want to get to the good stuff, we, we miss out. We miss out on looking for God in all the in-betweens, being available to Him, communing with Him, talking with Him, wasting. So think about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Whereas workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Does that scripture, that's a great scripture, isn't it? I mean, when you think about that, you are the workmanship of God. You've been created by God and he has appointed good works for you to walk in. Do you think he's only talking about that 10% of those really epic works that you're going to do in your life? Or when he says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, do you think maybe... That means the good work of you being on hold with the insurance and you actually working out your patience and growing in patience, growing in this character of God. Instead of just like, oh, I mean, if that's how you spend your time, like you've just wasted that hour and a half, right? So I look at this, I think that created in Christ Jesus for good works isn't just the big epic things. I think it's all the good works. I think it's changing your, your baby's diaper in the middle of the night. I think it's asking God for patience as you drive to work. I think it's all those in-between things. It's you're, you're just whatever your road to Gaza looks like. You're not wasting it. Just get, I'm just got to get to Gaza. No, you're, you're praying. You're, you're taking all these oppor- every opportunity to grow closer to Jesus in everything that you do. You're, you're making a meal for your family and it's just all you've got is mac and cheese tonight and you feel bad, but you just go, you know what? I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna say, Lord, my identity is not in you know, how great of a meal I made tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you provided this mac and cheese. I mean, it's, so instead of letting the enemy or your own flesh take over these things and now you're just being discipled by your own condemnation and your own performances and all that stuff, let yourself actually be discipled and be in, a, in an apprenticeship with Jesus during those times. Take advantage of those times. Don't let those times go to waste. If that's 80% of your life, use it for the glory of God. You have no idea what the Lord might teach you or show you while you're making that mac and cheese. Maybe if you're praying during that time instead of just feeling bad or whatever, you might actually think about someone else in your life and say, you know, I'm, after dinner, I'm going to shoot him a text. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, this, these things just kind of become this domino effect in our life. But if we're just taking that 80% of our life and just going, oh, I'm just complaining about everything, then you're missing out. You're taking away opportunities for the Spirit to lead you and change you and transform you. In your notes, this quote from Kevin DeYoung, he says, 
We must not despise the small things. That is most of our time. So don't despise the small things. And the small things is most of your time, most of your life. Right? So don't despise them. Don't complain about them. Let them be used in your life to bring glory to God. Insignificant days, he says. Insignificant. Remember, you ever feel like you just had a wasteful day? Insignificant days of faithfulness add up to a significant life. But insignificant days of complaining, that, that won't get you there. So does that, does that make sense? I, I want to close with this, uh, this analogy, uh, this little picture. Ron O shared this last week at the Breath of Heaven fundraiser. I just love this. I had to share this with you. Because um, we see this story of Philip and this eunuch. I mean, here, here's the crazy thing, and we'll, we'll talk about this more next week, but Philip thinks he's going to like this, some kind of, I don't know, he doesn't even know what, in Gaza. Some, some big thing, probably a bunch of evangelism. He goes on this desert road, he sees one Ethiopian in a chariot, shares the gospel, and then he gets whisked away. That, that, that was the purpose of the mission. One guy. Just one guy. There was no big event in Gaza. Just one guy. That was what the Spirit was doing. That's what he was being led to do. So Ron shared this story. Um, he, he had an apple seed with him. And he was talking about how one tree, well, so you plant one seed, goes down in the ground, it produces one tree. An average tree produces about 300 apples. Every apple has on an average about five seeds per apple. So if you planted all the seeds from those 300 apples, you'd have 1,500 new trees. Those 1,500 trees produce 450,000 apples and 2.25 million seeds. You plant those 2.25 million seeds, now all of a sudden you have 675 million apples and 3.375 billion seeds. If you plant those seeds, they become 3.375 billion trees, and eventually you get 1 trillion apples. The point of all that is we look at this idea of just being in the in-between of our life and just on our proverbial road to Gaza, all these little interactions that the gal at the, the, at the park, the co-worker, whatever it might be, we plant one seed. You know what's interesting about this story is that Philip has no idea whatever happened to that Ethiopian. Right? He gets whisked away. He has no idea. And sometimes we're not going to find out. But what we do is we still plant seeds. One seed that you plant, if you're, a, you're thinking, you're expectant, you go share your faith, and it seems like they don't listen. They're just like, man, get away from me, like stranger. Like, what, what? I'm just trying to read my book here in the, in the coffee shop. You plant that seed. You have no idea, though, later on, someone else waters that seed. And then something you said to them, I, I, the analogy I use is like you put a little pebble in their shoe, right? They walk away from their conversation kind of annoyed at you, but they got this pebble in their shoe, and they just can't shake it. It just bothers them. One thing you said, one seed you planted, they just can't get out of their head. Four or five months later, someone else waters that same seed. Point is, is you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. Philip didn't know what happened to the Ethiopian. But one seed goes into this guy, and all of a sudden a new tree is planted, and now he's going to be starting planting seeds. So we, we, we just go forward in faithfulness, not wasting any of our time, but just saying, where can I plant a seed? One seed, we have no idea can, can do these, these numbers here. This story here highlights God's desire to see people saved, his, his ability and his desire to orchestrate even random encounters, random encounters in your life that are specifically appointed by God. We had no idea they were coming. We, had no, we have no idea where they're going to lead. 
But God is the author of all of this, and he's appointed that we be a part of it. But we've got to be on the lookout. We've got to be prepared even to plant the one seed. Speaking of Ron, uh, the last few weeks I had just kind of uh, some challenging weeks, and um, after a few days uh, of just a lot of just wrestling with the Lord, Ron invited me to go out to Oceanside and spend time with him. So I drove out to Oceanside and I met him at uh, Grace Chapel, which is where I met my wife, which is where um, my early, like my, I got saved through Grace Chapel and this is just where I started growing in my faith. Uh, Ron really took me in, took me under his wing. Um, I lived with him for a little while when I didn't have a place to live and um, for the next five hours as I went out there on a Friday night, uh, I got to the office and the first thing that he did was we watched some, some home videos uh, one of them was the, the second Christmas uh, that I was a Christian, 1998, and uh, I'm on a video there, stand next to Rob, we're, we're very young, <laughs> and I'm seeing all these pictures of, of people, video of people, people that I haven't thought of their names in ages. Some people are still walking with the Lord, some people have passed away, some people have turned from their faith, some people are drug addicted or divorced, some people are doing fantastic the kids are adults. It, just, it, was, it was crazy, just a lot of people I just hadn't thought about or seen in a long time that I did a lot of ministry with, that I learned a lot from, um, I worshiped a lot with, I led in worship, all these things. And after that, we took a little tour just around the building. We have just a lot of memories. Um, I mean, pretty much literally walked down memory lane because we walked all around downtown Oceanside for the next four hours, telling stories, remembering names, people, uh, I was saying, oh, remember we did this here? Remember, oh, gosh, remember, remember that one summer we were over here doing that? And, and just this is where it all started for me 25 years ago. I texted him the following Monday, and I said, Ron, you know, that was like I was Ebenezer Scrooge, and you're the ghost of salvation past, just <laughs> taking me on this little tour of my life and my history. And a few weeks later, he shared this appleseed analogy and I just started thinking to myself, I can't even begin to understand what the Lord has done in secret in my life that I don't even know about. Just by planting little seeds that, you know, I, some, some seeds just, you, you throw them out, you don't even know you're planting seeds, but you spend time with people, simple time, just asking questions. But going back so many years, so many seeds have been cast on purpose and some on accident. So Christian, your life matters how you spend your life in secret, in your home, doing mundane things, it matters. The Spirit is at work in you even when you don't even know it. He's prompting you when you don't even know it. So be on the lookout for that. Listen, because in 20 years, 25 years, you might look back and go, I didn't realize that that was the Lord moving in my life. I was so young, I didn't, I didn't know. But be expectant in every part of your day. Be on the lookout, be ready don't forsake the small things on all the in-between times. God is at work in you, and he's at work in others. We just often can't see it. So ask him to show you how to be a part of what he's doing in your own life and in the lives of others. So next week, we'll look more in-depth with the actual story um, because there's, there's more to it, um, and more, more to it as far as even just the heart of God to, to reach the lost, reach the nations, using us to do so. Uh, so we'll look more at the, the details um, of the text next week. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this great truth that um, you want to use us not just for the big moments. You know, truthfully, a lot of us might not even have a lot of big moments uh, that, that we consider big, that the world, even the Christian world, considers big. But we have to understand that your economy is so different than ours. I think of just the, the, the people that have prayed for me in secret over the years. The people that um, have faithfully served others, and they didn't announce it. They didn't post it on social media. It wasn't this official ministry of the church. It wasn't any of those things. They just, they just go through their life being Christ to those who don't know Christ, being Christ to those who need Christ, showing compassion, praying for people, asking questions. Lord, help us to be those kinds of people, living out the, the ministry you've given us just in our everyday life, and help us to use all the, the in-between parts of our life for your glory. We wouldn't let them go to waste. We wouldn't let our flesh take over when we're frustrated or annoyed, when we're inconvenienced, when we're inconvenienced, we say, Lord, what do you want to do in me right now? How can I glorify you right now? Rather than making it all about myself, because i got to wait longer, or i got to do this, just how do we take those opportunities and give them to you so that we can get to know you more and be transformed by your Holy Spirit? Help us, Lord, in the everyday parts of life. Let us not have any part of our life go wasted. But teach us, Lord, to be expectant, to be urgent, but not be rushed or, or hurried or busied. But looking for your work in our life, looking for opportunities that you want to bring to us. We thank you, God, that you have a heart to save the lost, to save those uh, who, who don't know what they're reading, who, who don't know where they're going. Put us in their, their path and then highlight them to us when they are because sometimes we, we are just about our own business so interrupt our days interrupt our thoughts inconvenience us for the sake of the gospel help us lord we thank you we love you we worship you it's in jesus name we pray amen